But we had thought maybe we were expecting a couple times, um, but we, we took these home pregnancy tests and they said no. And so this, this particular time, I mean, we wanted to know, obviously, but, but the thing is, those things are expensive, those tests, or they were back then. I mean, today you can, you can literally buy them at the Dollar Tree, right? But back, back then they were kind of pricey. But we had a friend who, who worked as a counselor at a crisis pregnancy center and she had access to the official pregnancy test that, that doctors use. So one afternoon, we went downtown and uh, met her. Her name was Sherry, and Vicky did the test, and there it was. There was that little blue line, and we, we went a little crazy. Well, Vicky and Sherry went crazy. I was kind of stunned and shocked. Still am 21 years later. But... And then you know what we did? We told everybody. I mean, we told everybody. I mean, there were the obvious ones, of course. We told moms and dads and, and, and brothers. We didn't tell sisters because we don't have any sisters. But we told grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and neighbors and coworkers. I told the guy at the, at the convenience store I'd never laid eyes on before in my life. Told the girl in the checkout lane at Kroger. She was very nice about it, too, by the way. There's just something about good news that that we can't keep to ourselves. And you know who really struggles? Kids. Especially kids. Kids can't keep a secret. I mean, come on. If you've got a young member of your family who finds out that that you're pregnant, you better hope that you've already told everybody that you want to tell personally because that kid is going to tell everybody. And I actually started thinking about all that because I was thinking about this as I was getting ready to preach. Who was it? that God told first that his son was born. Why did he tell them first? The answer to that is another one of those parts of the Christmas story that I, I think we've been overexposed to. And the result of that is that we kind of miss the significance of what's happening. And here's why it's important. Here's why we need to get it. It's part of the story that we can actually get involved in in a tangible way. I mean, this is, this is where we get to be part of the story and, and sharing the news that a Savior has been born. I mean, our words and our actions and, and our enthusiasm all communicate the importance, the significance of that good news. And the story we're about to read is at the heart of understanding our responsibility as followers of Christ who know that good news is meant to be shared. The good news is meant to be shared. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 2. We're in a, in a series called Vintage Christmas. We've been talking about the, the unsettling realization that our contemporary celebration of Christmas has gotten a long way away from the original. From the original intent, the original purpose, the original meaning. And it's become about something very different. It's become about... Uh, decorations and, and lights and, and shopping and long lines in the stores. And, and this year, a, a brand new festive wrinkle was added to the holiday mix on Black Friday. Pepper spray. But if we go back in time, if we go back to the very first Christmas, the original Christmas, we learn that Christmas is about one thing. Does anybody remember from last week? Nobody? Nobody? Okay, we're done. Let's go home. What is it about? 
God with us. God with us. That's, that's the, the one thing Christmas is about. Let me tell you, there were people at that very first Christmas, just like there are people with us today, who think that, that if God is real, that He's abandoned us. Or that, that He's against us. But the truth is, on that very first Christmas, God was saying, I'm with you, and I care about you. That's the best news ever. And it needs to be shared. So I, I, I got a friend who's going to read a portion of, of Scripture for us. He is uh, very experienced. Uh, in fact, uh, he's, uh, he's read this portion of Scripture on national television every year since 1965. So let's, uh, let's watch him do his thing here. Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Linus looks pretty good for 46 years old. Isn't, he? isn't it amazing that that's, that's read every year on national television? I mean, one of these years they might not, but every year for 46 years it's been on. And it's really pretty fitting to have a, have a child read that story about the shepherds. We'll come back to that in, in just a moment. Because last week we made an observation. We said that, that we have this version of the Christmas story that we can see in our imaginations that's more Disney than reality. You know, it's more Hallmark Christmas card than how it really was. It was true about the manger scene last week. It's true when we're talking about the shepherds. And think about those shepherds. That's who God announces the birth of His Son to. That's who He invites to come and see the new baby. A, a, a raggedy collection of shepherds. See, in all of Scripture, there's only one announcement of Christ's birth. Uh, there's only one invitation from God to anybody to come and visit Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And that invitation goes to a bunch of shepherds. So let's talk for a moment about the life of a shepherd. It wasn't easy. In that culture, being a shepherd wasn't exactly a glamorous job. In fact, it was a job that fell to a group of people who did not have a lot of other options. Because the reality is that shepherds were outcasts. 
First of all, they were religious outcasts. According to the, to the Jewish religious law, shepherds were unclean. And, and, and if you came in contact with them, if you touched them, that meant you were unclean. And, and being unclean meant a, a lot of things. It meant that they couldn't participate in the feasts, couldn't participate in the holy days that were part of the, the Jewish calendar. Some of that was due to their work. I mean, somebody had to watch the sheep, but large part it was due to them being unclean. And so when everyone else was making a trip to Jerusalem to participate in the feast or to offer sacrifices at the temple, they were out in the fields watching the sheep. And so they were looked down on from a religious point of view. Whatever might have been in their hearts, they were not allowed. They weren't able to fully participate in the spiritual life of their community. They were religious outcasts. And not only that, the shepherds were social outcasts. Uh, they, they, were, they were transients. I mean, you know, sheep can, can eat a field down to bare ground in, in no time. And so they kind of had to keep moving. They had to keep, keep the flock moving to, to find uh, new sources of grass and, and water for them. And so they traveled a lot and they were constantly on the move. And as a result, they were viewed with suspicion. I mean, think about how we look at a, at a carny. They, 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 they couldn't give testimony in a legal proceeding because their word was considered untrustworthy and unreliable. If anything went missing as they passed through a village or town, they, the shepherds were always the ones who were blamed. And on top of all that, they didn't have a whole lot of contact with other people. You know, Linus read from Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and he said that they were abiding in the fields. Some translations say they were staying in the fields, but the truth is they were living there. They lived in the fields. I mean, shepherding is not a 40-hour-a-week job. They didn't go home at night. They didn't get to go home on the weekends. They were with the animals 24 hours a day, seven days a week. During the day, they were, they were leading them on this quest to find grass and to find water and keeping an eye out for predators like wolves. And at night, the shepherds literally slept in the sheep pen with the animals to protect them from theft and animal attack. And so being a shepherd was, was a lonely, tiresome, and usually very boring and tedious job with occasional moments of extreme danger. And shepherds had a lot of contact with sheep, but very little contact with other people. You probably wouldn't want your daughter to marry one. Put it that way. And again, because of the, the Disney Hallmark version of the Christmas story that we have in our heads, we think the shepherds were, were grown men, right? I mean, old guys with, with beards and, and leg hair and bathrobes, right? Uh, <clears throat> but the reality is that shepherding always fell to the youngest members of the family. In fact, most shepherds were boys, ranging in age from around 9 or 10 to about 14. Even today in that part of the world, the, the, the shepherds are kids from 9 to 14 years old. You know, we have some precedent for that, don't we? In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Samuel, and God had charged him with going and finding a new king. God was kind of put out with the old king. He's going to replace him. So he tells Samuel, you go and search for a new king. And Samuel ends up at the house of a man named Jesse. And he tells Jesse the mission that he's on. And Jesse goes and rounds up all of his sons. Now, they were all grown men. They were tall. They were handsome. They were strong. And, and, and Samuel looked a whole lot of them over and said, this isn't it. This is, none of these are, are the one. 
And then he says, do you have any more kids? Can you imagine? You got any more? Got any you forgot about? And Jesse goes, well, there is the youngest. He's out taking care of the sheep. Samuel says, go get him. We're not even going to sit down to eat before he gets here. And, of course, he comes in. And who was it? David, the shepherd boy. Yeah. That's how parents in that region of the world have taught their kids responsibility for thousands and thousands of years. Today, parents can't even get their kids to clean up their rooms because they have blisters on their thumbs from PlayStation or DS3. Back then, they sent them packing. Go with the sheep. And you know, shepherding was a low-rank occupation. It was looked down upon by almost everybody from just about every angle. But those kids had enormous responsibility. Those, that livestock was an important part of the family's property. There was an awful lot of wealth tied up in those animals. You know, they would, they would slaughter one of those animals for food from time to time. They would use the wool to make clothing or to sell, to, to, to earn money. They, they would take one of the sheep every now and then to the temple as a sin offering. So it was a big responsibility being put on the shoulders of children. Now, I've got two of my boys are in that age range. And I love them. They're great kids. You know, and we're doing our best to raise them right. But I'm not sure I would give them responsibility for a hamster. (laughs) Jake kind of shrugs his shoulders down. Okay. So why these young shepherds? I mean, God is announcing the most amazing, incredible, joyous news ever. News that is literally going to change the course of history. The birth of His Son, Jesus. The coming of the one who will be the savior of the whole world. The one that the nation of Israel has been waiting for and hoping for and praying for for thousands of years. And finally he's here. Finally he's here. And he is announced to the least powerful, least influential, least respected group of people. That could be found anywhere. Kids. I mean, we would expect something like that to be announced to the VIPs of the world, wouldn't we? We would think that political leaders would be told, that that, that kings and governors and even Caesar himself might be invited to come pay homage to the newborn king. And surely the religious leaders, the the priests, the rabbis, the synagogue officials, the, 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 the head of the Jewish ruling council, I mean, that was their Messiah. Surely they would be invited to worship their Messiah. And military leaders would be there. Right? People of power and standing. Wealthy merchants. Men and women of of note. Celebrities. You know, we have people today that are famous just for being famous. They'd be there, we would think. Right? All the Kardashians would be there. The news media. But none of them were invited. None of them were even told about it. Yeah, there there were some foreign dignitaries who figured it out. 
But they figured it out because they had, had, had star charts, you know. They, they, they charted the stars, the movements of the stars. And plus they had the prophecies that Daniel had left in Persia 600 years before that they, that they read. And, and so they, they figured it out through that, but they didn't get an invitation. There was not any angel that appeared to them. So why? Why did God do it this way? Why did He send His angels? to announce the birth of Christ to these shepherd boys, to invite them, and only them, to come and see the child. Well, it must have been because they were, they were so spiritual and religious. I mean, we, we know they couldn't participate in organized religion, but, but otherwise they just must have been outstanding believers in God. Well, the only problem with that is the Scripture doesn't say that. I mean, we do see that, that when they got the news, they believed what the angels had told them. They went and did what the angels told them to do. But, but otherwise, there's nothing in this passage to indicate they were any more spiritual or any more religious than anybody else. Well, it was because they were expecting it. They were looking for it, right? I mean, after all, a, a good Jewish boy, by the time he was 14 years old, had the entire, what we call the Old Testament, memorized. Man, isn't that something? Somebody says, well, that's impossible. Oh, no, it's not. Ask any kid under 18 to quote you a line from, you know, uh, Superbad or Pineapple Express. They could do it. You know, ask any man to quote you a line from Dumb and Dumber. We can do it. Killer boots, man. The monkeys were a huge influence on the Beatles. That John Denver, no, never mind. Um, ask, ask anybody my age or younger to quote a line from Star Wars, and everybody will go, No, I am your father. These are not the droids you're looking for, right? We can do it. They could do that because, they could, because the Word of God was important to them. They could memorize it. So maybe they were just expecting it. You know, they all said, Hey, let's lay down tonight and look at the stars. Tonight might be the night when the, when the Messiah comes. No, not likely. In fact, if I'm a shepherd, Old Testament memorized or not, I'm probably convinced that God doesn't have any idea who I am. And if He does, He doesn't like me. I mean, I can't go to the temple. I can't participate in the feast. I don't go to synagogue. My deepest spiritual discussions are with a bunch of dumb sheep. Now, God's got a pretty low dis, uh, disapproving opinion of me, I'm pretty sure. So why did God send the angels first to those shepherds? I think there were a couple of reasons. And the first one is this. I, I think that God wanted to show that His love does not discriminate. That's what He wanted us to know. That his love does not discriminate on the basis of class or wealth or social standing. See, God doesn't, doesn't respect kings and princes more than hourly laborers. And he doesn't respect hourly laborers more than he does the unemployed. And God doesn't value pastors and, and preachers over people in the street. God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't give preferential treatment to one group of people over another. His love is available to everybody on the same basis. Faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
over and over again in the Bible. We, we find out that, that God loves to lift up people that the world puts down. That He loves to make famous people that the world overlooks. 2 Samuel 22 verse 28 says, God rescues the humble. Psalm 149 verse 4 says, The Lord delights in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. Isaiah 66 2, God says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. In Matthew chapter 23 verse 12, Jesus says, Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, All of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. So when God chose people out on the fringes, people that the world looked down on, wrote off, pushed to the margins, smelly, dirty kids. When he chose them to receive this incredible announcement, he was saying that Jesus is not just the Savior of the political and religious and social elite. He was saying that God is, is not just the Savior for kings and governors and priests. He's saying that Jesus is a Savior for everybody. Everybody. No matter what group or what class we're in. No matter what our level of intelligence or education or wealth. No matter what our profession is or what our politics are or our social standing or any of the other qualities that human beings judge one another by. God's love is offered indiscriminately to everyone who will repent and believe, to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's hard for us to get our heads around. That God, you know, we make these value judgments. We kind of rank people. There are some people that we don't like, some people that we like, some people that we like a little more, some people that we love. We, we got this whole ranking system going, right? And you're, right now, you're connecting names and faces with each of those levels I just talked about. But God loves indiscriminately. And the truth is, that offends us a little bit. But God wants us to know that His love does not discriminate. There's another reason. Let's look at the scripture after Linus left off there in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. So when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. 
The other reason I think God made this earth-shaking announcement to a ragtag bunch of shepherd boys is because God wants the good news to be shared with enthusiasm. God wants the good news to be shared with enthusiasm. Kids get excited about good news, don't they? Try this sometime. You know, schedule a trip to Disney and then tell your kids. And then tell them, you can't tell anybody. Tell them, in fact, if you tell one other person, we won't go. You'll stay home. (laughs) Because, I mean, half the fun is being able to hold it over the head of like your cousin and your friends at school. Hey, I'm going to Disney and you're staying home, sucker. (laughs) Ha ha! In verse 15, when the shepherds say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, the the English translation doesn't do the original language justice. Because there's, there's this one Greek word that's used there, and it means to take off running like a crazy person. Now, you know what that's like. That's like the moment when you take a six or seven year old child to Chuck E. Cheese. And you pull in the parking lot, and they see the sign, and they start freaking out. Chucky Cheese! Chucky Cheese! Chucky Cheese! And they start clawing out the door trying to get out. And before you've even stopped the car, they take off running across the parking lot into that rat palace. That's the kind of excitement these kids had when they heard that the Savior had been born. That's exactly what they did. They, the Savior has been born. Let's go to Bethlehem right now. Because good news is meant to be shared. They couldn't keep it to themselves. The Bible says they told everybody. They told everybody. They told their family members. They told other shepherds. They told the people in the villages that they, that they passed through as they led their sheep to look for food and water. They told Everyone. So here's the thing I've been wondering. Are we as excited as those shepherds about celebrating the birth of our Savior? See, I'm convinced that if it had been you and me out in that field and the angels showed up and did their thing, we would have gone, well, wasn't that nice? What a nice program. I, I really, really enjoyed that. And that song is going to be in my head till after New Year's. Glory to God in the highest. How do you know? I'm going to be singing that. And yeah, they said something about a baby in a manger. I hope I have time to do that. We're just so busy. I mean, the kids got all their activities, and, and, and we've got a shop, and we've got to go to the in-laws for Christmas, and, and we've got to go to the grandparents for Christmas, and, and we've got to go to the office Christmas party. And, of course, I've got to cook and, and get my home ready for, for guests. But I really hope to work that in. See, we would have ho-hummed the whole thing. Because what happens to us as we become adults in our Christian faith is that we lose some of the fire. We lose some of the the zeal and the passion that we once had. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. When we were expecting Ben, we lived in Huntsville, Alabama. 
And if you were having a baby in the late 80s in Huntsville, Alabama, you had to get into the birthing classes taught by a woman named Christy Thomas. It wasn't just kind of a, a fad thing. She really was the best, wonderful Christian lady. She's gone now to be with the Lord. But I remember that the very first night in that class, Christy was, was telling us um, what we were going to be learning. You know, she'd showed us a video that was just like, whoa, you know, I didn't know what it was about all that. And, and, um, and she starts talking about what happens after the pain and the struggle of childbirth is over and you're holding that baby in your arms. And she starts to weep. And you know, at that time, I thought, well, that's weird. This woman's taught hundreds of couples childbirth classes. She's got kids of her own. What's she crying about? (laughs) But I know now. See, I understand that to her, the miracle of a child being born wasn't old hat. It wasn't, okay, I've been through that, no biggie. She's still talking about it with passion and with enthusiasm because she had experienced something that changed her life and led her to help change the lives of hundreds of others. We have a story about a child being born that should move us every time we tell it. If that child if that Savior has changed our life. What would happen at work tomorrow if we acted like those shepherd boys when it came to the the birth of our Savior? What if we had overwhelming joy because God was at work in our lives? You know, I think that maybe little stuff wouldn't bother us as much. I mean, God has sent a Savior into the world, and I'm so excited about that, that anything else, anything less, doesn't mean much. Minor annoyance. What would happen in our relationships if we really believed this good news? Maybe we'd be easier to get along with. You know, maybe we'd be the person in our family or, or at our work or in our circle of friends who sees the positive side of things, right? Who has this this, uh, bigger sense of what's going on, who has this big picture view of life because a child was born who changed everything. What if we sincerely and humbly but enthusiastically told everyone we know, everyone we meet, God cares about you deeply. He hasn't abandoned you. He's always reaching out to you. How could that change the world for the people in our lives? There may be somebody here this morning, and you kind of look at life like, um, like you're on the outside looking in. You know, I imagine that there were a lot of nights when the shepherds sat out in those cold and lonely fields, just animals for companionship. I think that they could look over and see the villages in the distance, see the lights in the houses, hear the voices, maybe hear laughter, hear families sharing life together. And I think they wanted that. 
I think they, they longed to be part of that. Maybe you felt that way too. Maybe you'd tell me, you know, Pastor, I'm not one of the beautiful people. I mean, I'm not wealthy or powerful or influential. You know, and it's not likely you're going to see my name in the paper for some great accomplishment. If you see it in the paper, you know, it might be in the police blotter or the, you know, the, the court proceedings, but not likely you're going to see it for anything great. I kind of live on the fringes of life. Or maybe you've fallen into the trap of, of comparing your level of the Christian life with other people and you find yourself coming up short. I mean, my, my church attendance is kind of spotty and, you know, I, I don't read the Bible like I should and I pray even less. And so if God is aware that I exist, which He probably isn't, He doesn't think very much of me. And you know what? I, I could tell you story after story after story. I meet people every day almost who feel the same way, including a lot of people who to you and me look like they have it all together. In fact, I have found one thing to be true, that the deeper the hole in a person's soul, the more they work to give the outward projection that everything's okay. They've got it all together. When on the inside they feel like they, they don't fit in. That God couldn't possibly care about someone like them. Well, if any of that strikes a chord with you, I got good news. I got great news. I got the best news ever. God loves you just like He loved those shepherds. You're special to Him, just like those shepherds were special to Him. I mean, look what He did. He, he gave them the awesome privilege of being the first ones to hear about Jesus. And being the first ones to go and tell others about Jesus. Think about that. He didn't give those privileges to the Roman Caesar, to the Jewish high priest. He gave the privilege to shepherds, to humble, ordinary people who had a pretty low opinion of themselves. Who didn't really have anything in their lives that gave them any reason to think that they were something. That they amounted to something. They were simple people who were willing to, to simply believe what God told them and simply go and do what He told them to do. When they heard the news, they didn't go find a religious expert for a second opinion. You know, the shepherds didn't corner their pastor out in the foyer and go, what do you think I should do? They didn't... Uh, they didn't, they didn't worry or argue about who was going to watch the sheep. They didn't worry. They didn't argue about how are we going to find a tiny baby in this big town with all these out-of-town visitors who've come from all over the world for the census. They just accepted what the angels had told them, and they obeyed, and they went. Will you do that? Will you do that today? God is inviting you, just like He invited the shepherds, to receive His love, to believe what He, he says and, and do what He asks. He's inviting you to acknowledge your need of His forgiveness and to put your trust in Jesus Christ 
for your salvation. You don't need to be somebody in anybody's eyes but God's. You just need to believe and obey. And I see you. That person that says, well, I don't identify with those shepherds. Okay. You identify with the elite then. The social elite, the the gifted, the accomplished, the, the powerful. Those people who are something. Well, then you need to recognize that in God's sight, you are on the same level as everybody else. Not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm telling you this because I love you. You don't have a head start with God. In fact, if there's anything that causes us to think too highly of ourselves, anything that stimulates pride in us, guess what? That puts us further behind. And if that's the case in your life, then then you need to ask God to purify your heart and grant you some humility. You need to understand that That we're accepted before God. All of us are accepted before God on the same basis. And it's not anything that we've done. You know, it's not what we watch on TV or don't watch, or what music we listen to or don't listen to, or the movies we go to or don't go to, or what we wear, or our hair, lack of hair, or tattoos, or piercings, or whatever else we want to try to use to differentiate ourselves from and make ourselves better than somebody else. It's not about that. We're accepted and loved and forgiven by God, not because of anything we are or anything we've done, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who gave His life, who who surrendered Himself and suffered the penalty for your sin and for my sin. You know what we're real good at? We get real good at telling people, Jesus died for your sin. But sometimes we need to say that to the mirror. Because we got to own it. We got to know it was for, for us, it was for me, and we've got to never forget it. Humble yourself before God so that He doesn't have to do it for you. Finally, all of us need to respond in the way those shepherds did. They heard, they went, and they spread the word, they told everybody. And we've got a unique opportunity before us in the Christmas season. I mean, our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members are more likely to come to church with us this time of year than any other time apart from Easter. You know, last week we talked about they're listening to the radio. They're singing along with songs about the Savior's birth. Their hearts are open. You know, I, just, a, just a, a short while ago, I read that 73% of people who don't go to church have never been asked. And get this, 80% of people who don't go to church said they would go if someone invited them. Let's be a little childish this year. Let's be like those shepherd boys. And let's tell everybody, you got to be here. We've got two more Sundays this year, or a Sunday and a Friday, I should say, to worship God, to tell people who are far from God the good news of Jesus Christ, to share with them the story of the child who was born, the child who changes our lives, the child who changes everything. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.